Hello everyone and welcome to the new episode of UX Banter podcast. This podcast is presented by Galaxy UX Studio and powered by Galaxy Weblinks. Hello. If you have a story, you must also have the skill to share it with the world. Just like our guest for today's episode. He is an eloquent storyteller, a TED Talk speaker, a creative thinker and strategic marketer. The one who has worked with some of the world's most beloved brands is a Silicon Valley veteran and within Inc's CMO Mr. Neil Ford. Good evening. So Neil, we have been following you on LinkedIn for quite some time and we watch all the videos that you create and share there on TikTok, on YouTube. And the team here, I mean, they always ask, like, what is it like to, you know, have a conversation with you? And I tell them every <laughs> single time that we always learn something new every time then, you know, when we get to interact with each other. That's true for me. I always learn something from you, Dushan. <laughs> and thank you for having me on, by the way. I, I very much appreciate that. I've always been an admirer of your spirit and, and how you are very concerned about training your people and keeping them up to date and engaging them. I, I'm a big admirer of yours. Those are kind words coming from you. Um, so if you have to ask that, in your opinion, you are into the brand and the marketing side of things. So what makes a good brand? The, the state of play right now is quite different from when I got into my career, when I was first starting. When, under the current circumstances, what happens is that People have information on a brand available to them from multiple channels. And if they want to find out something, it's like an Amazon review. They can find out the good, the bad, the ugly. And because information is so readily available, the most important thing for a brand is, a, is an authenticity. That is, they have to conduct themselves in the world in a way that people will be satisfied with. It isn't enough to simply create a public persona because it's quite easy for people to discover how false that might be. And what's more, the, the product reviews and so forth forewarn people what they should expect about a company, a brand, a product. And for this reason, you really have to focus on not so much what are the marketing messages, what, the, what are the brand messages. It's really what is the brand from an experience standpoint. So that's quite different now from what it used to be. Therefore, it becomes the important part of marketing as a discipline to try to inform the product with an excitement and energy and unexpectedness so that when they encounter it in the world, they're pleased because it, it overmatched what they were expecting. And, and by the way, I can't, my experience, and I know you practice this, my experience is that when the people that represent the brand, that is the very people that work for the company, are enthusiastic about it, when they believe in it, or they believe in the leadership, that gets reflected out into the world in very small ways that accidentally inform uh, people's impressions. Let, let's say, for example, Dushant, that you ran a hotel. The most important thing really isn't how you treat the guests. It's how you treat the employees, because the way you sure. treat the staff will then go on to be how they, how they treat Absolutely. the employees. <laughs> and, and this is why I was, forgive my, me saying this over and over to Shant, uh, for the benefit of your guests, you and I know each other pretty well. And so when they hear me say that I'm an admirer of yours, I don't want them to think that I am complimenting you for the purpose of um, just trying to you know, inflate your ego. 
I mean that in seriousness, because from what I have observed, you care very much about your people. And, I, and the people of yours that interact with me, I can feel that coming through. In other words, I, I'm, I'm hearing little turns of phrase that I know came from you. And so that's, <laughs> a, to me, a really, good, a, a really good lesson. In that when you treat your own people well, they will go out into the world happy, satisfied, and believing in their mission. And that creates a, a lot of good things will happen that way. I have many examples, but I won't, I won't keep talking. I'll let you uh, keep this thing focused. No, no, that is where the examples will come in. I mean, if, if we talk about that, you just mentioned that there is a big difference between the landscape uh, when you started out and how it is yeah. right now. So this is where I have to go back and ask you that since the over the years, Sony, HSBC and Toyota mm. and all the brands that you worked for in the past, how things have changed or what are your key learnings that you know from marketing for the experience side of things and you know which have actually helped you evolve as a professional that you are if you look at well there each of the brands teaches you something and the the one brand that i think was most instructive was toyota toyota is a global super brand because they often have a very, very large industrial presence in the countries where they sell products. So when they, when they come into a country like the United States or India and they establish a factory, you will find that the behavior of the factory is, is probably the best indicator of whether the brand is real or not. Sure. Because, uh, the, because either the people that built and run the factory believe in the brand values or they don't. And Toyota is an excellent example of a company that truly believes in its values. Uh, let me give you some sense of it. So when the, there was a factory in, uh, in San Antonio, Texas, and, and Lexington, Kentucky, that I visited on behalf of Toyota because I was working on their brand. And when we were in the Lexington, Kentucky factory, um, the, the head of the factory was a guy named Mike Dodge. And my name is Ford. And so we were both laughing about the fact that Dodge and Ford were working on behalf of Toyota. Um, but I asked him, I said, hey, Mike, when somebody pulls the line and they stop the assembly line because they are perceiving a repetitive problem and they want to fix it, is it true that, is it really true that people don't get mad at them for stopping the production? And he says, no, he goes, get mad. No, no, no. We love it when a problem is spotted because when we fix that problem, that's one less problem that's going to happen in the car. In other words, the car is that much closer to perfection and we really deeply care about that. So in a kind of a queer way, when, when, the, con, when the Anbon liner, I forget what they call it, when it's been stopped, I, I, don't, I don't have the reaction inside my body of, oh, nuts, there's a problem. I think, oh, you know, that car is going to be much more flawless down the line. So I, I was just struck by how happy he was about informing me that that policy was real. And then when we were in San Antonio, um, the plant manager was very proud to tell me that in San Antonio, Texas, the, the water is always a persistent problem. You have to very be, be very mindful of the water table. Um, they can't consume too much water for fear that it will impact the agriculture in the region. So they were so proud to tell me that not only were they very careful about the water, but they were extremely careful that the water that left the plant was cleaner than the water that came in. And again, it was the, you, it was the belief, you could see it on their faces, how much they enjoyed that fact. So 
why do I tell that long story? Because I, what Toyota taught me was that their values were real. And when you sense that, the, that they believe in what they believe, that they believe in product quality and, and the, the, the principle of Kaizen, perpetual improvement, you sense that when they believe it, I never have to look at another product review. I'll just buy whatever they make. True. Because, I'm, because I believe it too, the way that a religious believer just says, you know what, I'm in. So it's, it's funny to show, but I, I really would have a hard time buying anything <laughs> but, a, but a Toyota. You really have to do some fast talking. <laughs> so what does this all have to do with marketing? What it, what it is for me is it is yet another example of it's not really the cleverness of the message. It's the sincerity of the message. It is the degree of belief. And, and one small thing, I've always loved Sony, but I did have a meeting with them once where two departments were essentially conducting a civil war right in front of us. And I thought to myself, this, I'm not, I don't, what confidence can I have in this when I can see that they are warring behind the walls? And so this is my indication that, again, it's the sincerity of whether you believe in your values. It's the, does everybody believe it? Do they embrace it? Are you treating them well enough or training them properly enough that when they go out into the world, the people of the company, they're carrying with them and if, if, like evangelists, the belief in the brand. And I think that may be the most powerful indicator of the strength brand. of, yeah. So another, just one example to add to the thing that you mentioned that every time there was a problem, people got really excited. And mm. in my experience here, what happened at Galaxy was that we were um, doing some user research and we had to do user testing for these wireframes. And a mm. couple of the designers, they got into a match that, you know, their idea should go for the testing or the another wireframe was working well. And we had to put it to A-B testing. And then we realized that when the issues started coming in, in the in both the designs, we had to you know merge and get to the final product. But mm. every time somebody caught the barrier to user success, they were really happy that something was spotted earlier on that nobody in the company or the team they thought about. And those learnings were carried to the next project that they were working on. So every time, whenever we are doing the testing, some if, if there is an issue which is identified, they get really excited about seeing the user feedback on those uh, user testing uh, recordings. Yeah, I, I respect the fact that they are that way. When you find people like that, hang on to them because not everybody embraces that kind of feedback. Um, and, and it's a powerful thing when you find people that do. That, that they make good teammates because they're, they're able to take criticism objectively and embrace it. And True. so True. My, my hat's off to you for hiring them. <laughs> so I think that is where the first session of this conversation has gone to, which is uh, believing in people and making sure that you get the right people mm. for the job and ensuring that they belong, they feel belonging to the, the brand they are actually representing and not just there for the job. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, but I, that is going to be, of course, a reflection of leadership. Uh, every organization, the, its message is merely a shadow cast by the top person. There's a, and, and those that truly believe in human beings are going to find that over the long term, they're, they'll have something bigger and more important than success because the, the resonating waves of positivity 
will impact people positively. And you can you can say, you know, I really admire Steve Jobs' success, or you can say that I admire um, Jeff Bezos' success. But I'm not certain, from my perspective, again, I, who am I? I'm not a success like Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs. But I do see that the way that you conduct yourself with your own people will have very long-lasting effects. Why besmirch an image of, of yourself with all that success? Why, why would you not want to go into the world and treat everyone with a degree of respect and care and love so that all that's ever remembered of you was the concern you had for your own people? I don't, that's mystifying to me. True, absolutely true, because the internet is filled with the story of horrors of, you know, one conduct or another. But yeah. okay, so with that serious talk, this brings me to this deck of cards that I have. Uh, and it deck. has, you know, several cards and there is no particular order. So I'm going to shuffle it so that, yeah. you know, I'm not sure that which questions are going to be there first and the next and then. By the way, this is a good indicator of a brand. A brand should always have something unexpected, some wild card that anything could happen. I think that's a, this is a good simple symptom of what you're proposing, what you're uh, <laughs> conducting. All right. Ready, ready for anything. Ready. Okay. So what would you do if you were president uh, for a day? If I were president of what for a day? United States of America. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you why I'm laughing, because you can't do anything in a day. So let's let's add one extra caveat to the what would I do? What would I do if I could uh, if I could be president for a day and it couldn't be undone? Okay. And I would I would do this in the United States. We do have a bit of a problem in that the voting process, the campaigning has been taken over by money. Um, mm -hmm. We we have in the United States something called. Uh, oh, forgive me, I cannot remember the name, but essentially what it granted was that a corporation had equal status with a human being in its ability to contribute money to pre uh, presidential or, or political candidates. And what then subsequently happened was gigantic contributors were the only ones that have the politician's attention. And the significance of that is I could no more get an appointment to talk to my congressman that that's a virtual impossibility. But if I gave them 100,000 US dollars, oh, they would, they would be only too happy to take my phone call. So you can see the problem right there. So if I could make a change and it would be impossible to undo, it would be a radical reform in how much money you could contribute to a politician. We've got to detach the money from politics or you will never have justice again. You will only have politicians beholden to special interests so Accessibility. that's a very serious answer <laughs> perhaps <laughs> they should have said something funnier like i would make every day puppy day or something. a lot more questions to come <laughs> <laughs> so next one windows or aisle aisle definitely yeah okay next one the industry you always wanted to work for but never got the chance oh wow that's a wonderful question. Uh, let's put it this way. My favorite thing in the world, Dushant, is to talk to people. Um, I, love, I love conversations like this. This is my great passion. I find people endlessly interesting. 
And the, I'll tell you why. Uh, forgive me, this is a bit of a tangent, but it goes like this. Uh, the, what is the industry that I really wish I could have done? I wish that what I could have done professionally was just be a kind of professional speaker, that I could go from you know, company to company and city to city and just get in front of audiences, talk to people because the most interesting thing in the world is to engage them afterwards. You know, you've, you've gone out there and you've made some kind of speech and then afterwards people come up to you with questions. And what I love to do, of course, is to ask them about themselves and what they're doing. And uh, I just, that is the thing that fills me with more energy than everything. And the, there is a, a thing that my father used to say, he, he would caution me and he would say, he said, stupid people talk about people. Average people talk about events. Smart people talk about ideas. Ideas. And that's what I like doing with other people is to have a conversation where we say, you know, how, how is a person meant to live? What is a good life? Um, what is kindness? What is humility? Uh, these questions, I, this is why coffee for me is such a fantastic ritual. Because you and I, if we were to have tea or we were to sit down for coffee, I don't think you and I would be talking about, oh, did you hear what happened to, you know, Praveen? I, just, that would never occur to us to talk about that. What we would talk about is, Dushan, you know, like if you could have worked in any industry aside from this, what would you have done? That's what we would be talking about. Your cards notwithstanding, I'm sure you would have asked that anyway. Sure. So this actually uh, summons like three industries. So either you could be a stand-up comic, a motivational speaker, or a corporate trainer, or adhyatmic guru, the spiritual. Oh, right. Well, I, I am an enormous admirer of stand-up comedians. I, I suppose <laughs> I would do that, except that I'm terrible at it. So that I'm not sure I would want to be a bad stand-up comedian. I think I'd rather be a, a good motivational speaker. All right. <laughs> the next question then. A book that had big influence on you? Mm. Uh, well, a number of them. A number of them. I think, let, let's play it this way. The, when I read The Brothers Karamazov by um, Dostoevsky, uh, here's what struck me. I believe the book was written in 1880. And I was listening to it as an audiobook. And as I was driving along, I was laughing. I was laughing at something that was quite funny in the book. And it occurred to me, this author reached through the centuries and made me laugh about, and so what it indicated to me was people haven't changed at all. No. <laughs> Circumstances have changed, but the human comedy is, persists. We're still being idiots between the sexes. We still stupidly crave power and are greedy. We, we never learn. And this is why I found that that was profound is because I thought to myself, oh, if that was true and then, and it's still true, that means it will always be true. And therefore, when you read an old book mm -hmm. like that, a, a classic, then you can count on the lessons being perpetual. And, and therefore, I think there's a tremendous amount to be gained from reading, for example, the Stoics, uh, you know, Epictetus or, or Marcus Aurelius, because those things that are still true from centuries back that there's there's a great deal of wisdom to be brought forward into into the future absolutely sure so from from 19th century to uh, 21st century which is your favorite mobile app my favorite mobile app oh well i love tiktok i <laughs> I, I, 
I wish it weren't true, uh, but I'll tell you why I love it so much. Um, TikTok has a fantastic algorithm for feeding you what you are interested in. So when people complain that TikTok is nothing more than little dancing girls or, or something, I'm thinking, well, give it some time because what's going to happen is it's going to tell you what you're interested in. It has a, <laughs> the algorithm is spectacularly good. And, and what I find is that the stuff that I'm getting, very interesting. I'm getting a lot of tutorials on, on how to, uh, how to speak or marketing. I get a lot of marketing tutorials. I get a lot of politics. I get uh, um, just fascinating things. So um, it has turned into something. My version of TikTok is going to be very different from somebody else's. It does have this one flaw that is not insignificant. And that is that it's very difficult to, you know, once you're on, it's, you've got to fight to get off. It, it's so good at keeping <laughs> you engaged that it can steal your time from you. A lot. The, those are the time killer applications which are around. I mean, that they take up a lot of bandwidth uh, from the productivity that you might actually go for. But, you know, absolute fantastic observation there. So books or movies? Oh, well, I love books and I particularly like audio books. Um, I find that what that will allow me to do is go on long hikes or, or do other things. And I, I, that, I just love that notion that I'm I'm getting physically fit while I'm listening to something, you know, some brand new philosophy of human relations or something. So I love books. Okay. Two more questions. So one is your favorite holiday destination. Mm. Uh, okay. So there is a place where uh, we go horseback riding in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And it's for me, it's like, eh, okay. But I'll tell you why I love it so much, because, it, because my wife loves it. And there's nothing more fun than watching her laugh and smile. And so we do, I take possibly more pleasure in it than she does, even though I'm ambivalent about horses, just because she's having so much fun. And so I get the added benefit, not only of whatever the activity is, but knowing that this is what she wants to be doing. So that to me is a fantastic holiday. That's a fantastic answer to that question. So it's a and person it, that all the mean. married men know what I'm talking about. You, you, <laughs> right? Look, if there's, if she's not happy, you are not happy. You know? <laughs> so make her happy. It's all, then everything will be right in your world. <laughs> so home is a person, not a place. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, my, do, that's a, that's a statement or that's a question? No, just, you know, somewhere I heard that, that yeah. you know, maybe on some, some of the WhatsApp forwards that you actually get social media, a random observations. Mm. <laughs> okay. So the last uh, question for this is that one person alive or dead, you would like to go for a drink with. Oh, wow. Christopher Hitchens. Why is that? Well, Christopher Hitchens was. Uh, an astonishingly insightful observer of the human comedy. He would write for Vanity Fair, and um, I didn't always necessarily agree with him, but he was exquisitely good at forming an argument. And my, my desire to have a drink with him, he's long dead, unfortunately, but um, why I would so covet the, the time I would have with Christopher Hitchens is to watch his mind work, because... It, clearly the man was so much smarter than I, uh, but I would, 
I would like a sponge, sit there and observe the, the process. You know, I, I would ask a question and then be able to decode, like, how is he thinking about this? And I, I don't think there's, it would be hard to find a human being more articulate uh, in the history of the species. We'd have to probably go back more than 200 years. I, I don't, in, in India, no doubt, you will have some of the great, uh, most articulate human beings. Um, I, I love listening to Sadhguru speak, but, but what I find is that the wit and wisdom of somebody who, like a Christopher Hitchens, who can, it, it, in, in my experience, Dushan, you have to be three times smarter than you sound in order to sound that smart. In, because in order to formulate the argument, there has to be these multiple tracks of narration going on in your head. And so the, you know, this is why it helps to be, this is why great authors may or may not be brilliant because they have a chance to slowly build an argument as opposed to somebody like a Christopher Hitchens who you ask him a question and he will fulminate in the most eloquent prose. And you're just thinking, how smart do you have to be to craft that in real time? So fantastic, fantastic. And thank you very much. This brings us to the end of the session of unexpectedness. But you being a champion, you never actually flinched once in the entire, uh, you know, block of the question, uh, the flurry, which was uh, I <laughs> put you through. <laughs> what can I tell you? I, I, I love questions like that. I love the I love the unexpected. If we have time at the end of this, I do have to tell you a a story about a flight. Uh, oh, I think I put it onto LinkedIn. You would have seen the video. It was the one um, called lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And it was, a, yeah, because to me that, that was the nature of something that was unexpected, just raising everybody's uh, joy level. That to me is, you should always try to do that. <laughs> so. Fantastic. So now coming back to the question about, you know, the business side of things. Um, yeah, yeah. So what, your advice will be to somebody who is just starting out uh, in the industry today, because I believe we are all interlinked, be it UX or marketing, because we are all in the business of um, customer experience. We are here to ensure that people get what they are seeking. And the art of selling is ingrained with the experiences that people are buying because we are selling experiences, right? So what would be your take or your advice to somebody who wants to walk into this business or industry? Well, uh, this is something that uh, I should have taken more to heart years ago. But, and so I'll pass it on because I, I say this sadly, because so many years I wasted not doing this. You can find work and, and, you can, and it can be well-paid work. But unless you are working for someone you admire, I don't know that you're ever going to really learn what you need to learn. The, having a mentor, having someone who actively wants to help you succeed, is willing to give you advice, is kind enough to you to be mean once in a while. And I, I don't mean mean in this spirit that they're nasty to you. I mean that they are willing to give you criticism, knowing it's going to hurt your feelings in order to benefit you. A true mentor will give you benefits you never knew to ask for. They will provide you with guidance and a model and a role model. And what you will do working for a great person is you will become a great person by imitating them. And uh, I, I had had in my experience two great bosses. And the idea that I would ever leave them, like what was I thinking? 
Do you know what I mean, Deshaun, where you think, yeah. <laughs> no, if, as long as I grab hold of that person's belt loop and just hang on, great things will happen. Or at least over time, I will become them. I'll give you a good indicator of how good people are at that. You know, like imente. Think about the accents that we speak with. You and I both speak English. Um, we, you know, I might have spoken Spanish, you know, California, but you and I both speak English. I love the way you sound, and I don't know how I sound to you, but here's the thing. Our accents are simply the result of us imitating the people that we learn from. Uh, we've adopted their manner of speech, and we do that with everything. We mimic their body language. We mimic their gestures. We mimic their, their postures. But most of all, we mimic their behavior without realizing that's an accent. And to work for a great person, to find someone you admire, um, maybe take a little less money, but someone you admire, the dividend will be paid back to you, not in money, but by in becoming a great person like them. So I wish I had, I wish I had said that to myself when I was 25, because I would have sought out not the job, but the person. That is really great advice. And I, I tell you that, you know, every time we go into the leadership roles, we uh, try to deal with a team crisis or any problem that comes in the business. Uh, it, these questions do come to mind that what would the other bosses might have done? And the leadership styles that people follow, it comes from the culture they have been groomed into. If somebody had a abusive boss or you know the way of the way they were asked to uh, deal with the problem when they become the leader the, the the culture of abuse might continue and it's 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 a very sad thing to say but this has been the culture i mean in back in the day 70s 80s bosses if you go back and see that everybody wanted to rule with an iron fist and things have changed but this is where the humane factors have to be considered and we need to include that now companies are becoming more open to um, ideas understanding the mental health issues that people might be going through and addressing those so that a better employee as mental health or you know the person who are part of your company they are the company a company cannot be without the employees and that treatment actually the the more uh, leadership opportunities they are given the growth opportunities they are given the you know the mentored and the sessions are taken and you know make sure that what they are doing is adjusted according to the calendar that you are dealing with i think those are the great ways to you know grow and i absolutely i was i was speechless when you actually made that observation because i was thinking hmm how the growth of the organization has happened i mean it it are and at any other organization that i worked for as well that was really great advice even i no. can now i can you know believe that i will get you know i had a long career but there's still long way to go but that advice actually even i am going to follow not just uh, the newcomers to the industry i know that you provide that mentorship to others so they're quite lucky to have you as a boss okay so the last question that we have here is it's about you that what is your approach to marketing what is your mantra for the marketing and success it is that uh, genuineness and authenticity are the new gold standard um, all uh, to go back to the toyota example they had a, a situation in the united states where there was a, a problem with what what they referred to as unintended acceleration what was often having was people were mistaking 
the brake pedal for the gas and vice versa. So they thought they were stepping on the gas, but in fact, they were pushing the, they thought they were stepping on the brake to stop the car, but instead they were pressing on the gas and the car got away with them and they panicked and they pushed harder thinking that they needed to push the brake harder, but they were on the accelerator. So what this created was a series of accidents. And the, the company was, as it turns out, from an engineering standpoint, the company was blameless. However, Toyota knew from observation of this phenomenon that you cannot respond by, by claiming that the drivers were at fault. You have to address the problem with over, overcompensating and demonstrating a commitment to the safety of their customers that was such an overreaction in a, in a positive way that they will have faith that no matter what happens, you will always fix your mistakes. You will always treat your customers with respect and affection. Again, they were blameless in this, but they really took pains to overcompensate. In fact, when people were, when their owners were pulled before the recall, they had a big recall of these products that were supposed to be defective. Well, when they had a poll before the recall and after the recall, you might suspect that people would be kind of sour on Toyota for making a faulty product. Not so. People were happier about owning Toyotas after the incident because of the way Toyota had conducted itself. It had been sincere. It had cared. It had demonstrated that we will make this right. And, and it cost them a lot of money. But in the long run, they were weirdly better off that this whole incident happened. Not every company would respond like they did. That could have crippled a lot of companies. It didn't cripple them because what it was an indicator of was this is a genuine brand. This is an authentic brand that cares about its customers. They, they walk the walk, as they say. They put their money where their mouth is. They're, the brand advertising, if you will, was more potent in that recall than in all the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, they had spent on brand image up to that point. Because this was real and this affected people. So what is the mantra? The mantra for me is people will forgive your mistakes if you are sincere. But in order to be sincere, you have to take your mistakes very seriously. You have to embrace them and own them and make things right. And I think the, the, the result will be strangely, when you own your mistakes, strangely you get more credit for, for owning it than, is, than you are run down for making a mistake in the first place. Very insightful. I, I believe that, you know, we have known each other for, I think, a couple of years now. Yeah, uh, a couple of years. <laughs> but this conversation, I learned a lot about your point of views and, you know, uh, this discussion. I think uh, I would be, you know, delighted if I, you know, when we get a chance to grab a drink together, you are going to oh. be the person on my list and we should definitely look forward to something that. out. <laughs> I would so really thank look forward you. to that. Thank you so much for agreeing to be our guest on this show. And I pleasure. believe that this is going to be one of the, the best viewed or reviewed uh, episode for the series. And, <laughs> and well, yeah. that remains to be seen. But thank you for having me. I really I consider it a great honor. 
So thank you very much, Neil, for joining us today. And for the rest of the people, stay tuned. Next week, we are going to be back with another guest at our podcast. And hopefully, they'll have to fill large shoes of Mr. <laughs> Neil Ford after this particular episode. So thank you and have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you, fellas. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>